Of course, I'll also be taking your calls on this particular subject, the wage negotiations and this agreement that has been reached, at least with uh, some of the unions. But because the majority of unions have now signed, I think uh, what will happen is that it will apply across the board. Uh, the number to use to get in touch with us, 011-714-2006. Let me welcome onto the show Labour Analyst Terry Bell. Terry, good morning to you. Good morning, Kathy. Great to speak to you after what has been uh, some time. Firstly, let's talk about this uh, negotiations and, you know, the fact that there has been some kind of deal that has been reached. In your view, the argument that is being made by the unions who describe this as not much of a deal, is that a fair reflection? Well, I think it's a reflection that all the unions, whether those who signed and those who did not sign, would agree with. Nobody thinks, I mean, it's Ruben Maleka himself, and they've signed the PSA, uh, has called it a stopgap measure, mm. and by which they simply mean, look, we've, we've got to deal with this, mainly because the majority of members who are pretty desperate at this stage, they've had no pay increase for two years, now have been suddenly been offered this extra 1000 which around a month, which actually for the lower paid works out in, du- in double digits. I mean, it's, it's 11, 12% perhaps. So they're, they, they're desperate for the money. They then voted to not go on strike. Whereas the PSA had voted to go on strike before, before this new deal came up. I think what uh, the Public Services Minister, Senator Mchunu, has done has brought the government a load of future trouble. Why do you say that? Well, let's look at the background. In the first place, although everyone keeps saying there's been a 1.5% pay increase, Mm -hmm. there has been no pay increase because the 1.5% is a pay progression that was agreed automatically way back in 2007, which means that every public sector worker got that no matter what. It was not part and parcel of the negotiations at all, which is what made the negotiations so difficult initially because the unions pointed out you're not giving us 1.5 plus 1.5. You're just giving us what you already agreed was an automatic pay increase, no matter what, from 2007. And that's what delayed the whole, the whole negotiations. They went on and on. And finally, the PSA called, declared a deadlock and walked out, took a strike ballot, won the strike ballot. And then at that stage, um, Minister Ntunu then came up with this offer of the 1,000 rand a month, which, again, PSA then had to put to their members and to all the others. It's interesting, of course, that Genosa and Pop Crew, who not necessarily signed, they, they can't go on strike anyhow because they're essential service workers. Mm. So anyhow, the government decided to, to do this deal. And it boils down to the fact that back in 2018, government forced on the unions, well, I say forced, they actually demanded that the unions were opposed to a three-year deal. Government finally agreed, and then last year simply reneged on the deal. Now, that matter is still before the courts, and there'll be a decision made next month about whether the government still has to pay the 2020 increase, which they agreed to three years ago, and still have not paid. So everybody is angry, but they have decided at this stage, the majority of workers, and I think I can understand it, to agree with the 1,000 rand a month. However, the majority of the negotiators are definitely not happy because they point out it's a once-off deal. And government is going to be in a position where they'll try to withdraw that next year. But the point is 
that once workers have got used to that, how do you then take the money away from them? So I could just see a lot of trouble looming mm-hmm. in the so, so, so Terry, if I'm listening to you and just uh, this, the, the different types of scenarios that you're looking at, which could unfold from this moment going forward, this issue of the wage increases has not reached its climax yet, that it, we are still going to see a, a, a greater contestation and perhaps some form of breaking point um, where the unions and the employer are concerned. Well, for example, if the court case goes, and it may well do, because it's, as I see it, it's a simple breach of contract. That the government agreed to a contract and then broke it without sort of unilaterally. If that goes against government as well and they still don't pay it, you're going to have a lot of trouble. Right when the new negotiations are scheduled to start, which is in September. So you've not had any agreement, and then you have September coming, but you also have an election coming. Mm. So it complicates matters still further. I think what this has done, of course, is angered, let alone just disillusioned, but it certainly angered a lot of ordinary public sector workers. And if and when the renegotiation of the 1,000 gratuity, because this also doesn't go into their pension or anything like that, if and when that comes up again for renegotiation, there's going to be big trouble because the workers, I think, are legitimately going to say, well, we want to keep that. And, and that's really part of what the story is about, Terry, because in many ways, going through this pandemic, it has highlighted just how much we need the state uh, to be functioning at an optimal capacity. And so when you have workers that are disillusioned, who, are, who have low morale, that contributes negatively to the kind of outcomes that, that they, and, and productivity levels that they bring out. Well, it certainly has highlighted in particular the fact that among the lower paid are actually health workers, and I don't Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. doctors and nurses. You know, if we did not have porters and cleaners within the hospitals, if we wouldn't be able to cope. And these people are not highly paid, yet they're essential. They are truly essential workers. Teachers are also not amongst the most highly paid. And as the unions keep pointing out, we have one of the largest, no, probably the largest cabinet in the world, 63 members, with all these deputy ministers who we're still trying to work out what their jobs are because when the minister goes off, the deputy can't deputize. So what is the deputy minister's job? You're talking about millions being paid at the very highest elite levels. And I think that annoys workers to an incredible extent. We have two unions that are hoping that they might be able to overturn this current um, agreement. And this is through conciliation processes that are expected to start on, on Friday. Is there a likelihood in your view of that happening? Well, I think if you have conciliation processes, they shall drag on and on. And the Mm -hmm. point is that in September, the negotiations for the next round of wage talks are scheduled. And at the same time, in between that, I think it's scheduled for the 18th of August, we have the decision on whether government has to cough up for the fact that it should have paid the increase in 2020 dated back to, I think, April. So that's an awful lot of money to find to pay if they have to, if the courts order it. And if government says, you know, the usual thing, I've seen Mali, we have no money, um, they're going to have to find it. Terry, let me take a quick call from Sbu in the Free State. Sbu, good morning to you. Hi, Katie. I'm well, thank you, Sbu. Go for it. I'm, I'm all right. Katie, you know, I'm trying to figure out why PSA was the first to work out later 
going back to sign the agreement that they themselves mm-hmm. had the problem with initially. Because the, gra- the cash graduate education, we need to be realistic. You are going to give me a thousand grand this year, which next day you might be taking it away, mm-hmm. putting me in a worse situation than I, I am currently. You see, and the thousand grand that they are talking about, I can assure you, most of public servants don't get home allowance or household allowance. It's the same money as the, the department is supposed to be paying. Automatically, they are just going to take it from there and pay it to, to us. So union, they have agreed to this, were not representing the workers' interests. They were represented themselves because they didn't explain this quite clearly to the workers on the ground. That the thousand rand that you are getting now, know that in two years' time you won't get it, meaning that a zero increment for the next three years, which the government has actually wanted all along. So the government has one year. Thank you, Katie. Okay. All right, Zbu. Uh, that's the view that he has calling us from um, the free state. A- and I suppose it speaks to what you're raising earlier, Terry, about, you know, the repercussions of then wanting to pull or, or stop these payments come next year. Well, precisely. He summed it up. And also there's the issue of medical, there's the issue of housing as mm. well. It's not been dealt with. But, uh, you know, the point here is that one must not forget, I said that the majority of the negotiators, as far as I know, all of them, were not happy with it. But this had to go to the vote, and it's the members that voted. The majority, one of the negotiators said to me, and I can't say who it was, but he said to me when it went out to the vote, I have a feeling that the majority of workers are going to vote for this because they desperately need the money. Mm. It's not a good deal because we're going to have to fight for that 1,000 rand later, and it may well be withdrawn. It's not going to go on to the normal increase and into the pen, into pension or anything like that. But the majority of workers are desperate, particularly at the lower paid level, they'll go for it. And that's what happened. The majority of union members voted for the deal, 60%. Uh, Terry, you're raising something quite important there, and that's on the issue of of desperation. And you take the desperation of workers in the context of the desperation of South Africans who are unemployed and equally feeling the pressure. So those who have work now have so much more responsibility on their shoulders. And, And we know this through the research that has been done about our country. And one just has to wonder whether you think the nature of the conversation of these negotiations will be different given the ways in which the conversation around poverty and inequality and how those conversations need to be taking place uh, in the country right now. They certainly do, and I think they are actually being reflected in these wage negotiations, because as we know, you know, majority of workers in this country support perhaps between five and ten dependents, mm-hmm. you know, uh, throughout, and particularly in the rural areas, where they rely on one perhaps employed person who's keeping an entire family and an extended family going. So obviously, this is reflected within the wage negotiations. And government should realize that what we now have is a, a series of ad hoc sort of knee-jerk reactions by government. Oh, dear, we face a, a strike from the PSA, and the others aren't happy either, and they might join the strike, which they could do, you see. They're entitled to by law. Uh, we're in a bit of a fix there. Oh, let's quickly throw them a 1,000 rand and, and buy them off. Mm. It's not going to work. All it's going to do is buy more trouble in the future. It's doing nothing to alleviate the desperation and the poverty that exists already.
So what we need is to sit down, or government needs to sit down and come up with some sort of comprehensive overall economic policy. Ino Gorongwana, who is now, the, I think, the chair of the Development Bank, who was a former deputy minister, today I heard reported saying that he admits that the government has completely messed up the economy. Mm. Now, for someone like that to make that statement, I mean, people, analysts like myself and others have been saying that for a long time, from left, right and centre. But the point is that they need to sit down now and stop this business of knee-jerk reactions of ad hoc, well, let's get out of this hole in the, mean, in the meantime, we'll, we'll deal with the future later on. Yeah. It doesn't work. All right. And certainly, you know, trying to kick the, the can as far down the road as possible only makes things worse. It doesn't make it any any better. Terry, I'm going to ask you just to stay on the line for me, please. I've got a couple of callers uh, waiting on the line. Some might also want to engage with you on this very subject. It's 10.30. Namsam Dluli has your latest news headlines. Here, there and everywhere. Yeah. SAFM. 106.2 FM in Tohoyando. Well, we're looking at the latest wage deal that has been reached between government and some public sector unions. Uh, Terry Bell is a labor analyst. He's been weighing in in terms of what he sees as some of the loopholes of this agreement and where the challenges for both the unions and government lie ahead in the next coming months. Uh, let me take some calls. Butana, you're calling us from Rosebank. Dada Butana, good morning. Uh, good morning, Kevin. <laughs> good morning to your guest. Morning. I, I won't ask you. I won't ask you what I always ask you because already you are starting. Okay, let me keep quiet. Go for it. One point five <laughs> is a good deal. Satu has uh, has done a good thing, the right thing, to sign the deal. Now how they they must come. They are on the dark ages. Remember, Sato has extensively with pain. People in the private sector, two million people lost their job. They've got no zero salary. And the midterm exams for our kids, not, they were not written. And the curriculum, 30% that has been completed. So they don't even deserve this, uh, this increase. Get to home affairs. Get to UIL, they can't even process 350 50, 50 rand. And the next thing, they, 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 there's a good thing that they have, they have done there. And Titombawani is trying to water that, uh, that, that flower. Help Titombawani. Just in terms of the productivity levels under COVID-19, what we we also know from these departments is that um, the move to be able to digitize and do things online has been quite slow. So in some instances, just the example of the teachers, uh, 30% of the curriculum, you know, not being completed, that is partly the the responsible of the responsibility of teachers but there's only so much they can do with resources that they have well Kathy, they are always on workshop they are always in certain meetings and the people that are suffering are children at at townships model c schools they are far ahead with a curriculum mm. 
but but that sure. that that just highlights the point that I'm making. That oftentimes it is you know it's not that you have teachers that don't want to work, but that they're not being given the resources they need to be able to do that work efficiently. Well, they are in government. Remember, they are in alliance, and that now is a, is is a cossack. They are in government, so they must complain less than us and do proper work. Okay. All right. Thanks for that call. Ndadibudana out in Rosebank there. Isaac and Randberg, good morning. Hello, uh, Kizzy. Yes. I am very scared. Can you ask your the person that you uh, speaking there for a labor? Mm. I have heard that they are going to stop the deduction of pension funds. During this payout of this 1.5%. Is it true? Okay, Isaac, just stay on the line. Terry? I didn't quite hear that. So, so, so he's asking about the pension contributions and whether or not those are going to be stopped in the interim while workers are being given this 1.5%. No, no. What's happening in the normal pension contributions will still be made, but the additional 1,000 rand will not go towards pensions at all. So, you know, the normal deductions for pension and government uh, percentage put in as well, that won't go as well. So you won't have an increase in your pension contributions to the 1,000 rand. What workers could do who get the 1,000 is they could voluntarily take some of that money and put it into the pension fund to up their pensions, um, but I'm sure most workers probably can't afford to do that. Mm-hmm. Isaac, does that answer your question? Yeah, not really. With the medical aid as well, there is something about the medical aid that they, it will be stopped or something. Okay, so so basically, Terry, I think Isaac's questions really center around the other benefits that workers uh, are are supposed to be receiving. Will these payouts have any impact on those other benefits? No. The point is that they will continue just as they are, but the point is that the unions want to renegotiate on medical aid, they want Mm. to renegotiate on housing, but these issues are still up in the air. Okay. So these still have to be resolved. However, as, as matters stand, in other words, everything stays, the status quo remains the same. It's just that there's going to be this sort of dollop of extra money on top, which is just going to be a temporary, well, shortfall or stopgap or whatever you want to call it, but which will have no effect on the medical, housing or pension. All right. Okay. I think, Isaac, I, I suppose that that covers it, hey? Yeah, okay, I got it. All right, okay. Isaac out in, in, in Randburg there. And I suppose that's part of why some of the unions are fighting it, Terry, because if it doesn't make a change to things like your pension fund where there's no increase or even medical aid where there's no increase, um, it, it only benefits a portion of the, 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 the lives of workers. That's precisely what happens. But also, if they had to allow that to happen, it means that the one-off is not a one-off payment. It <laughs> yeah, it's an... <laughs> It becomes an actual increase. You've got it in one. <laughs> and that's the last thing government wants, because mm. the point is if they were going to keep down to, if they genuinely meant 1.5% on top of the, the guaranteed 1.5%, uh, that would have been 1.5% right across the board. Mm-hmm. Whereas, in fact, now the 1,000, it, it, it's a double in digit definitely for the lowest paid workers. I haven't worked it out exactly. I've seen 
um, Carol Payton says 11%. I, someone else said to me up to 15%. I don't know, but it's certainly double digits for the lower paid workers. And that's the last thing government, I think, was in, intending to do, to pay that amount of, of increase. So who knows? I mean, I think they've just dug a hole, another hole for themselves to fall into in the future. Terry, if you were to advise government, and earlier you were reflecting on um, what uh, Inokodongwana was saying, uh, and we heard uh, some of that in the news, but if you were to advise government on how to handle these negotiations, how to approach these negotiations differently, what would you tell them to do? Well, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't look at this in isolation as one. Mm-hmm. So that's been my whole argument all along. But the point is, I, I of course, would want to change the entire economic system. <laughs> but, uh, that's not on the cards. Uh-huh. I wouldn't be advising government. But what I would say to government, no matter what system you want to employ, mm-hmm. why not look at it in a holistic way? Why don't you, why look at one little sector here, another sector there? Everything is segmented. Everything's in silos. Whereas what we need to do is to have an overall policy. We need to have an import-export policy. We need to have a trade and industry policy. We need to unite them all. They say they do, but they don't. If you have a look at the way government acts, it's all in segmented sections. So one minister goes off, and his cabinet does. You know, ministers shouldn't be blamed individually. Cabinet makes these decisions. And they go, oh, my God, we're in trouble here, so we better bail that lot out. Oh, have we got any money? Oh, well, we'll rob Peter to pay Paul, sort of thing, you know, from the left pocket to the right pocket, that sort of thing. It's ad hoc, it's knee-jerk, it's not a very good way to run an economy or country of any kind. And I think they should sit down and say, right, A, our economic policies based on uh, being a global exporter, etc., and the neoliberal paradigm, as they keep using that awful cliche, um, has not worked. Let's look at a new one, and mm-hmm. let's look at it in a holistic way, taking the entire economy and look above all else at the fact that we have the greatest number of unemployed in the world. We now have more than a third of our children under the age of five who are stunted. Mm-hmm. We are depriving, we are creating another lost generation because of compounded by the pa- pandemic through lack of, of, of through malnutrition through lack of proper education and, and uh, facilities for children we are making a mess whereas in fact the world is in a bit of a crisis at the moment a bit it's a large crisis but we are worse off than we should be because we should be a food sufficient country that has a lot of natural resources and we should be able to handle the situation economically much better, no matter what system we use, as mm. long as we looked at it properly and holistically. Labour analyst Terry Bell, let me thank you so much for uh, your time and for your engagement on this particular issue. Uh, somebody on social media says, Kathy, to be honest, many of us are extremely disappointed at the stunts the government of the day is pulling on the wage negotiations. We can't afford food, housing, and other basic necessities. We are slaves anyway. All right, that's just one view. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be in conversation with the Free Market Foundation. They're calling for a different approach when it comes to enforcing bylaws. Do stay with us.